the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them alert, Blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word, amen. If all of a sudden, during the course of this sermon, I, I break out into camp songs and begin to gesticulate with hand motions to the words, it's just because I've been a chaplain at the camp for the last week up at the Barbara C. Harris Camp and Conference Center, which I cannot recommend strongly enough for those of you who have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or young people in your life who are fourth grade, entering fourth grade and up, to come up and spend a week during the summer at the camp. It's just fabulous. So if you're interested, talk to me later. Um, I'm not going to preach about that right now anyway. This is a sermon this morning about stuff about stuff. Jesus talks a lot about stuff. This morning, he uses these words. He says, sell your possessions, give alms, make purses for yourself that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He might have said, for where your stuff is, your heart will be there also. Throughout all the Gospels, not just this morning, but throughout all the Gospels, Jesus talks about money and material possessions, about stuff. And though he didn't seem to have much of either himself, he clearly understands the allure and temptations around having lots of possessions and having money. I read somewhere that half of Jesus' parables have something to do with money or material, material possessions. And it makes sense, 
if you think about it, especially here in the most prosperous country in the world, so much of our life, so much of our lives are concerned with stuff. And I've been particularly aware of this lately as Jamie and I, uh, mostly Jamie, have been working on reclabbering our house and putting together uh, a deck in the back. And living with small children added onto that means that there's lots of stuff around. By the way, when we moved into the house five years ago, we made sure that there was a pull-down stair into the attic, and we floored it so we'd make sure to have plenty of room for all of the things we knew we were going to accumulate, actually that we already had accumulated. So a preacher always preaches to himself first. Just remember that. Many of you may remember the comic George Carlin, and while most of what he said cannot be repeated in church, (laughs) I have one thing here that can be, and it's about houses and stuff. And I'm quoting here. That's all your house is, a place to keep your stuff. If you didn't have so much stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You could just walk around all the time. A house is just a pile of stuff with a cover on it. And when you leave your house, you've got to lock it up. Because you wouldn't want someone to come by and take some of your stuff. That's what your house is. A place to keep your stuff while you go out and get more stuff. Sometimes you've got to move. You've got to get a bigger house. Why? No room for your stuff anymore. You get the picture. And we can all laugh because we all recognize it in ourselves. But any of us who've had to downsize for any reason or have had to move a relative or oneself or a friend, we know, both literally and figuratively, the weight of our stuff. And perhaps those of us who aren't in the midst of a downsizing or moving someone else or ourselves. Perhaps those of us here who are not in that situation also have experienced the paralysis around the stuff that we own. Well, why is this? I think it's because we tend to identify ourselves with our stuff. Our stuff gives us identity. Marilyn Paul, who some of you may remember from a forum she gave here a number of years ago, she's a management consultant, and much more than that, I should say. She wrote a book called It's Hard to Make a Difference if You Can't Find Your Keys. It's a book about organization and really the spiritual dimension of organizing yourself. She writes this, and I'm paraphrasing. Stuff represents all kinds of things, but in a nutshell, it represents unmade decisions, unresolved feelings around our self-image, who we think we are or ought to be, unmade decisions and unresolved feelings around relationships, unresolved feelings about the past, and even about the future. I was very aware of all this as we tried, Jamie and I, to make a decision a while ago about the massive bookcase that used to be in our living room. 
huge, like nine by seven, beautiful wooden uh, structure, had to be bolted together, just beautiful, packed with books. Now the problem was it darkened the room considerably, so much so that we never went in there. It was just too oppressive to go into that room. The struggle was, obviously, what to do with the books and where to put the bookcase itself, since we really treasured this case and we could never have afforded it. I inherited it and could never have afforded to buy this thing now. Well, I realized that my resistance to taking down the bookshelf had to do with my self-image, my precious self-image. I had something deep, deeply invested in appearing, at least to myself, as an educated, well-read person. Educated, well-read people, I believe, have lots of books, and they are on display. No matter, I hadn't read most of them and probably never would. I also harbored the fantasy that I might return to my Ph.D. studies in American history. And these books, you know, they just might come in handy. I might, I might need one for that very important footnote that would break new ground in the study of American history. No matter that I'd left that program over 20 years ago, probably wasn't going to be going back. In the end, we did take the bookshelf down and we donated most of the books to the Concord Library, which has become my new best friend. I go to the library all the time and I can take out as many books as I want knowing that I have to return them. (laughs) Even with fines. Lots of them. The rest of them went up into the attic along with the bookshelf itself. You never know, you might need that bookshelf sometime. Maybe the kids will want it. Or their kids. But the truth was, I really was afraid of losing part of my self-image that I thought was very important to me. Even though it meant keeping things around that I felt oppressed by and that I hardly ever touched except to walk by and sort of look at them and think, I wish they'd go away. My heart had been seduced into thinking that I was my books. Now, I know that I'm in the presence of many book lovers. And in no way do I mean to disparage the love of books or love of reading or the life of the mind or anything like that. I share this only as an example, one example from my life of many, of the way a particular possession weighed me down rather than set me free. And I imagine each one of us, we sat down for half a moment to come up with a particular possession that does the same thing, that actually oppresses us rather than liberates us. And to people like you and me, I think here's why Jesus says, don't be afraid. Because we're terrified of giving up our stuff because it gives us our identity. Jesus knows that. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know that you're crippled by fear. You are more 
much more than your stuff. Let it go. You are more than the images and idols that you have of yourself. And I want to give you so much more than your idols could ever give you. He knows we're afraid. As we let go of those idols and images connected with stuff, we can feel a freedom, an expansiveness, a spaciousness that allows us to act and be in a way that we can never be as we stay connected, enslaved by our stuff. We can make room for the way God can feed us and liberate us in ways we could never imagine. In our very simple case, it opened a room that had the potential to be a place of respite and ease instead of clutter and really pretentiousness. Our hearts can be liberated from the tyranny of stuff. There's a 5th century desert father who gave his disciples this warning. This desert father said, Do not give your heart to that which cannot satisfy your heart. Jesus puts it positively. Give up your stuff to be free, to free your heart to follow me wherever I may lead you. Amen.